There was a story you shared with me a couple of years ago about going out for dinner with your partner and guys would just come up and ask you, do you want to have a threesome and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that is that something that's happened, like, more than once? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've had guys offer to pay me money if I kiss my partner again. They're like, oh, come on, do it again. I'm like, oh, God, these people are watching me. It's like you're <laughs> a show or something. Yeah, it's like, ooh, live porn, yay. <laughs> no, we're just people. I'm Jazz Rawlinson, and this is Reasons to Live your go-to podcast for inspiring stories of hope, triumph, and inspiration from everyday people. Real voices, important issues, no holding back. Ready to join? Welcome, everybody, to the Reasons to Live podcast. Today's guest is an amazing young woman named uh, Natalie White, or also known as Miss Natalie, as you may know her by. Um, She's a Brisbane-based musician and a really strong advocate in the LGBT community. Nat was also one of the amazing co-authors in my book, Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day, and she shared her amazing story of um, how she came to to learn to love herself and accept herself, you know, and her sexuality, um, struggles she had at school with bullying and how she got through all of that and how she has gone on to discover and chase her life passions. So today Nat and I will be talking a little bit about some of the same things that she shared in her chapter, um, how she's gotten through her tough times and what her message is to other people who want to you know, follow their life um, passions and especially those who have a passion for the creative arts. Um, as most people know, it is a pretty tough industry to crack, so I think it'll be really interesting to chat to Nat and hear about um, her insights of the industry. So thanks so much for joining us today, Nat. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> so how has your week been? I mean, as I said, you know, you're quite a well-known Brisbane musician now. Have you had any recent gigs on this week or the last couple of weeks? Um, yeah, I've just been doing cover duos just randomly around Brisbane the last few weekends. Yeah, awesome. Um, I also sung in a burlesque, new burlesque club in Ipswich. Oh, wow. Which was cool. I don't think many people would expect there to be a burlesque club in Ipswich. No, I didn't know either. <laughs> and so what, like, what was the club like? Did they, what did, you know, for those of us who don't get out to Ipswich much, <laughs> Um, well, it was, it was done up really nice, like very vintage and they've just, they've just started sort of doing this thing. Um, you go in, you have your dinner and you have a show. So there were some burlesque dancers and I sung a cover of all about that bass, but postmodern jukebox stuff. Yeah. Nice. So it's a cute little, little <laughs> joint. I would encourage people to go. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like maybe they're, um, making some cool improvements. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because every time I think about Ipswich, I just think about that meme from The Lion King. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> it's like um, a picture of Simba and his dad looking out over the dark, like the Badlands. And it's like, Dad, what's that shadowy area over there? Oh, no. <laughs> They're like, that's Ipswich, son. Yeah. You must never go there. <laughs> it does have that reputation. But yeah, there are some I'm, good little things everywhere. Yeah, I, I know some people from Ipswich, and, and you know, there's some cool people out there. They're not they're not all as bad as you know we like to make out, but we it's just fun <laughs> to give them shit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's cool. That's a that sounds like a pretty good um yeah cool gig to have. And um, <clears throat> so for those who aren't aware, um, 
you and I actually met because we grew up in Coffs Harbour and we went to the same school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met through your sister, who's one of my best friends. Mm. And one thing we used to always do was rope you into our weird photo shoots. <laughs> I, <used to> do. <laughs> I enjoyed it. So Rach and I would have these weird photo shoots that we would make, dressing up, you know, being normal teenage girls. And we would always get Nat to, like, come and help take the photos or we would dress Nat up in some weird outfit and make her be part of the photos too. Uh, I have no idea what what we were thinking, but some of the photos are pretty funny. (laughs) But if there's one thing that I remember from that time period back in school, it's that you were always singing or you were always acting in school plays. And, um, yeah, the arts were, like, always a very big part of your life. Mm. And, or, or, you know, for those who sort of maybe aren't aware, like when did you first start getting into singing and acting? Um, well, the first time I was on stage, I was actually three years old. So uh, I'm pretty sure I started singing and acting since I could have the ability to do that with my body. Uh, I was always sort of copying my big sister and my dad played um, keys and guitar jazz. So I just grew up with that being part of my world. Mm. Like it, I didn't know life without it. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember always seeing keyboards and, you know, and musical instruments in your house and your dad was always, like, off playing keys whenever I would come over. Mm. So He still is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you recently turned 30. <laughs> so I did. Big congrats on that. <laughs> I know a lot of people struggle with the the number 30 for some reason um I know I was always like oh no 30 so old um you know and you put up this really beautiful Instagram post on the day you turned 30 which I thought was really lovely and it was all about learning to you know accept yourself and learning to love you know who you are and not be afraid of your age and and not see your age as something that's gonna hold you back um Hmm. Yeah, so can you share a bit about, like, why you put that post up? Well, it was also, like, a lot of time when I do post, it's me realising things for myself. So when, you, when you're when you kind of inspiring and teaching other people, you're also mm. doing that to, for yourself as well. Um, I sort of was freaking out for the whole year of 29, <laughs> um, knowing that I would be 30 at the end of the year, and it sort of forced me to reflect on on my life and, and where I thought that I should be by now and that I'm not there yet and everything I thought of when I was a kid, I assumed I would have this um, vision, like, of this perfect life by the time I was 30. Mm. And I think just, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> That's something we all struggle with. Just yeah. coming to terms with what life actually is and seeing what I actually have achieved and mm. learning to be proud of that and, I guess giving up that um, image of how Mm. things should be and actually accepting and embracing where I am and being proud of that. And like I was saying, I think that's something that every single one of us struggles with because I remember when I was younger, I say that like I'm super old or something, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember being in my mm, early-ish to mid-20s and – I think I had just finished, I had finished uni and I was looking at some of my other friends who'd finished and they were doing things like accounting or 
teaching. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that, like, they're all getting jobs in Sydney or they're all getting, you know, into their careers, full-time work, and I'm still struggling to work out what the hell I'm going to do with my degree or what I can do, you know, because I did a Bachelor of Arts. Mm. in writing and psychology and I was like I don't know what I want to do and I'm struggling to get you know to find full-time work because I think I was still living in Coffs at that time yeah I was freaking out and one of my friends is like yeah but Jazz do you want to be an accountant yeah <laughs> do you want to be a teacher and I was like ew no <laughs> and he was like well stop freaking out then like that's that's not your journey mm. that's Everyone has their own journey and just because one of your friends just got a really good job in an accounting firm in Sydney doesn't mean that you have to be the same. Like that's obviously not what you want to do. So Mm. he was like, just stop comparing yourself and just start trying to work out what you're passionate about and what you want to do. And I was like, oh, that's actually really good advice. Yeah. And it's good that you did that. I mean, they they might not have even wanted to do what they're Mm. doing, but it's what maybe their parents told them that they should do. So yeah, they've gone exactly. and followed the path that they've been told. And and a lot of the time people end up going, wait, what am I doing this for the next 20 mm. years for? I'm not actually happy. And yeah, because like, breakdowns. <laughs> yeah, you're right, because so many people will get into a job that maybe pays well or it's just really stable hours and they've got a steady income. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do this, even though I don't really enjoy it. And then, like you said, they get to a point where they have a bit of a breakdown later and they're just like, why have I just wasted, like, 10 years or 20 years doing this, making money for someone that I don't, you know, respect or a company that I don't even like and, you know. So I think sometimes it's better to just follow. Like, I think it's important for people to realise that they don't have to follow this strict like textbook guideline of yeah. what life's supposed to be like. You know, you don't have to get to age 30 and have um, your house and your full-time job and your career and family and all those things. Yeah. And is that, like, how did how did you get to that point where you just realised, hey, I don't have to, I shouldn't be worrying about this anymore? Well, whether I liked it or not, I was going to turn 30. <laughs> I think it's that whole... Um, I don't know, when you hear bad news or something, you, you go to the stages of, of grief and, and, and you come acceptance, to acceptance. Yeah. Like, honestly, it felt like that for the last year of I'm going to have to either be okay with this or just spend the next the rest of my life just beating myself up and mm. that's not really a good option. Productive. So I decided to just embrace where mm. I am and and I guess just pop, like burst that bubble of, of the way – the picture that has been painted to a lot of us when we're younger, that it's not actually a real thing. Like people mm. might look like they've got these perfect lives, but it doesn't mean they're happy or that's what they mm. should, everybody should be doing. And I think it's really important what you just said about people making out or they look like they have this perfect life and, you know, people see maybe where they are now and think that they, they've always had it good and they've never struggled. Mm. Um, and, like, that's – I think that's really um, interesting that you say that because I think there's a lot of people who would probably look at your life and go, wow, like, look at Nat up in like up on stage or, you know, performing at this burlesque club and she's so confident and she's so beautiful and she's probably, you know, never had to really struggle with anything. 
but it's been a really long journey for you to get to where you have. Mm. And a lot of that is just life, you know, learning to, you know, love yourself along the way and, and discover what you want to do. But a lot of that has been to do with coming to an acceptance of your sexuality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so can you share a bit about, you know, life growing up and your journey of of how, you know, learning to accept yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a long story, <laughs> and I am 30 now. So, um, <laughs> well, as I said in your book, I grew up being taught certain morals and values and another another painting picture of how life should be mm. and how, who I should be as a person um, from my upbringing with, with Christianity and I guess just morals and values for my parents. And, and one of that was being taught that being gay was wrong mm. and it was, I don't know, I guess some sort of disorder and and I, I kind of heard all of these negative things growing up and I never thought much about it because I didn't think it concerned me and then I fell in love with a, one of my best friends when I was 15 and that was a massive shock to the system. Mm, I can't imagine. Because um, you'd always, I, I remember you'd always had lots of guys who were interested in you. Oh, yeah. In school. <laughs> <laughs> and were you ever interested in any of those guys before then? Or was there a I, moment where you were like, you know, was it a thing of just, oh, I'm not really interested in dating? Or were you always, did you always have that feeling of, oh, I'm just not really into guys? I didn't, especially as a kid, you, I don't didn't know what that feeling Mm. what feelings meant like this is a fun feeling this is a lovey feeling this is whatever sort of feeling um I mean it's always fun as a kid to be like (laughs) chased around by by people who who are wanting to ask you out and handing you the piece of paper who doesn't tick yes or no if you'll go out with me oh my gosh we used to have that too I don't even think any kids would do that anymore oh I actually still have some of them. It's like my old diary. That's so cute. I've got all my old diaries too. Yeah. I wonder if kids even do that these days. But yeah, like, I mean, you're right. It was, it's fun to have that, but so what's, do you remember how old you were when you first realized that you weren't into guys? Um, well, I guess when I came to a real awareness was when I I went through Mm. puberty I suppose because then the feelings that are just kind of when you adore someone or something Mm. then also turn more serious like oh I kind of have these feelings that I would like to do something else with them Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure what that is um that's when it became real for me I I always had crushes on (laughs) best friends in primary school and I but yeah it's not until you get older that you realize what feelings actually mean mm. and what they don't mean. And it took me a while to decipher that. So would you say it was probably when you were, when you were 15 and you fell mm. in love with your best friend, that was when you were like, Oh, I actually am, you know, not into guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, was that the, the first sort of, was that, was that sort of a surprise to you to have those well, feelings? I was very, I seem to talk, teach myself from a young age to be in denial about things. Um, I was very good at sort of just putting things in a place in my head that made sense. Mm. So the picture was okay then. And so for a while I was feeling these things for her and she also was for me too. 
and this was her first experience as well. She didn't know that she was gay either. Mm. Um, and so when, when you did realise that you had those feelings, what was that like? Was it terrifying because of yeah, the it, upbringing and the ideals that you'd always had for yourself? It was a combination of I'm, I'm falling in love for the first time like, deeply and that was an amazing feeling. And then straight after that was this impending doom of what does this mean? This means you're there's something wrong with you, you're going to hell, you're a terrible person. Every kind of thing that I grew up with came sort of crashing down and questioned. Mm. Um, and so did you try to suppress those feelings and push your friend away? or I tried to put them in the, no, this is normal category. Like, yeah, it's, it's normal to to want to be, like, really close to you. And it's normal to just want to, like, lie there and look into your eyes lovingly and, and stroke your hair all night. That's normal for best <laughs> friends to do, isn't it? Um, but she wasn't she wasn't okay with me just mm. going. She was like, no, there's certain things that we need to not do um, if you want to just be friends with me because this is not just a friendship. And Did she have the same fears around um, admitting not the same. That, that she had feelings for you or...? She was scared, um, but her family were very open and accepting, and mm. so she didn't have that extra fear of not being accepted by her family. <laughs> yeah, and so to take me through what those sort of few years were like, what, did you tell your parents, you know, no. shortly afterwards? <laughs> no. Wow. How long did you have to keep it to yourself? I'm really bad at timelines. For some reason, the timelines of my life, but... It felt like an eternity. Mm. Um, I went back and forth in myself a lot on what does this mean? What do I do? And I like, I would say, okay, I'll be your girlfriend and I'll be her girlfriend for like a month. And then I'd have a complete panic attack breakdown going, no, I can't, I can't. This is like bad. And, and I can't do this and I can't be gay. I can't be gay. So then I would break up with her and then she'd be devastated and, mm. And then I'd be like, no, but I'm in love with you and I don't want to not be with you. And it was just back and forth for a long time. Um, and then, I mean, I ended up hurting her too much in that process because she, mm. she had no reason to not be with me. But yeah, I kept that been very, back and forth full. It must have been really confusing and, and hard for her, I'm guessing, because she, like you said, she didn't have the same fears. So she was a lot more open to it. Yeah. And so did you guys stay together throughout the rest of high school? Well, she was in a grade above me, <laughs> and I also didn't finish high school. So we were together through high school, yeah. Um, but we're really bad at timelines. But <laughs> we ended up coming to a point where I had pushed and pulled too much, and when I was finally ready to accept myself, she had she'd shut down. And she wasn't able to to love me like that anymore. It had been too hard for her. And that's when I went into just massive depression because I was finally ready and I was still in love with her, but was she was gone. And I felt so alone and my family didn't, didn't ex- weren't accepting of me then either. So it was just like this dark cloud everywhere. Yeah, and on top of all of that, I mean – already coping with the heartache and, and of, a, of a, you know, a relationship that meant so much to you not working out. But then you also had all 
this bullying throughout school, didn't you? That you were dealing mm. with for quite a long time. Because I because we went to the same school for a number of years, but then you moved into state and switched schools. Yeah. And then that's when the bullying started as well, didn't it? So grade eight was particularly bad for bullying and I, I hadn't met this girl until the end of that mm. year. Um yes, I was I was bullied by a lot of people for different reasons, I think. I think the girls didn't like me because the boys liked me. Yeah. And they tried to make me feel really uncomfortable. Like, I didn't like changing clothes in front of other girls for the dance class. Mm. So I'd go to the toilet to get changed. I was very body self-conscious too. <laughs> um, and, and one of the girls would come down and she'd smash on the toilet door while I was getting changed. Just because you wanted to get changed in private. Yeah. I don't know. She had something against me always making just mean comments and I was just, yeah, I wouldn't even eat at school. I was so self-conscious. I couldn't even put food in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, and I remember you sharing in the chapter you wrote for Reasons to Live that they would do all kinds of things, like they would steal your bag and, and, and throw all your stuff in the bin and then they'd taunt you and be like, oh, you can have it back if you if you do this or if you say this and because you were, like, compared to a lot of those kids, maybe, because you'd been to a private school before that, I'm yeah. not sure. You didn't like swearing, did you? No, I didn't swear, I didn't drink, I didn't party, and I didn't do anything sexual. And this is when I'm 13. Yeah, and that's so, what, that shouldn't even be a, a big deal. But for yeah. these kids, that made that made you the goody-goody, and yeah. then that made you a target. I it? was a goody-two-shoes. They all knew that I was, I was a Christian and... And, um, yeah, the boys would – I've had boys when I was 13 call me frigid. Oh, wow. And I don't even think kids should be doing all that much yeah. at 13. In fact, not anything, really. Um, should just be doing what we were doing, which was making crazy photo shoots yeah. and dressing up. And I was still jumping in the things. pool and, yeah, like having sleepovers. Who should be worrying about that at age 13? You know, like that's just crazy to me, but – yeah, yeah so you were copying it. Rough. You were copying it from the boys and the girls in terms of bullying. Yeah, the boys were mainly just teasing, mm. which I now kind of look back and go, "Oh, maybe they were just trying to get a reaction from me because they were trying to flirt and the stupid way boys are taught to interact with girls." Yeah. <laughs> Let's pull their hair. And so, one of your coping strategies for that bullying was throwing yourself into creative arts as an outlet, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, my whole life, anytime I'm really emotional or something, the only way to, to I guess, express an event that is let's sing about it, <laughs> we'll cry about it, we'll sing about yeah. it, we'll, you know, act, play a character that feels those emotions and just vent it. You have to get it out or you mm. get stuck. And so what kinds of arts were you into at school? Like what, what school was it that you really enjoyed? Um, I did like dance, but I was still too self-conscious because of the girls in my class. Mm. Um, but we also had drama and music, musicals. I was in every musical at school. Yeah, I remember you being part of the musicals at our school <laughs> before yeah. you switched over. I've always been in musicals. And your sister too, like both of you were really into um, into drama and the arts. Mm. And then, and so when was it that you realised, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this and maybe this is something that I could pursue out of school. Well, I guess as I've grown, it's been different levels because 
I mean, the first musical I was in, I was six years old. So I knew that, and I did a lot of the Stedfords, which I got a lot of trophies for and things over the years. So I knew that I had a talent there. But in high school, that actually got more uh, squished, I suppose, because I didn't want to be vulnerable and I didn't want to be seen any more than I was being seen. So I actually withdrew more in high school artistically rather than excelled. Um, I still did it at home, but I didn't want to be seen on a stage anymore. <laughs> so it was a bit more of a, I guess, maybe a bit of an outlet and a bit of a comfort, but during those years where you were being bullied, but you weren't ready to really embrace it as much yet? Well, I was still doing it. Like in grade eight when I was having all that bullying, I had the role of Little Cosette in Les Mis. So I had to sing my solo song, Castle in a Cloud. Um, and the whole of grade eight had an, like an assembly where they watched it. I had to go on stage and sing that song for the assembly in front of all the bullies. And I was so How did you scared. Do I don't know. <laughs> I was, I was shaking before I got on stage and, did my thing. I was just the night before I was crying. I'm like, mom, I don't want to do this. Why are they making me do this? Um, That's amazing. I mean, I would be terrified enough just to stand up and do like a public speech, but mm. there's something about singing that I find more terrifying. I think because, you know, you're worried, is my voice going to break mid note, you know, all those sorts of things. So I imagine that must have been yeah, so terrifying when your bullies are out there staring at you. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to stand up there and perform and then you know they're probably going to give you shit afterwards for yeah. being, you know, a little miscreative or all those sorts but of things. But surprisingly, I actually had a couple, a couple of random people from my grade be like, oh, you can sing. <laughs> you were really good. I'm like, why are you talking to me? What? <laughs> I didn't expect that reaction. Mm. I, mean, I think I had the same thing happen in school when I started getting into drama and one of the very first plays we did, I played the role of the judge. I can't even remember. <laughs> I can't even remember. It was like sandbags. I, I feel like I've seen this. Sandbag stage, stage left. left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was the judge and people were like, oh, my gosh, you don't even talk at school because you're so yeah. shy. How are you up there playing the judge and, like, putting people in their place and, like, yelling at them. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Just do it. But, yeah, I'm, I think it's really amazing that you were able to to get up there and do something that so many people would be so terrified of, especially when you knew that that people were probably going to give you shit for it. Mm. And then just to, to back up to something you said earlier, so, or, you know, to fast forward a bit through to where, your relationship broke down and like you said you were experiencing a lot of depression because you mm. finally wanted to accept yourself but now you know the timelines and stuff hadn't matched up and and now you're alone so what you know when you said that that was a really dark time what were some of the places that your mind was going to and and what was that period of time like oh so it just was like that feeling of you sinking through the ground and it's just so heavy. Like every breath would be just painful and heavy. It was just a never-ending feeling even when I went to sleep. Um, yeah, I would just – I didn't see the point in life anymore at, at all. Like I couldn't experience any joy 
nothing made me smile. I couldn't even laugh anymore. And I was just stuck there. Mm. So um, did many of your friends know what was going on? Did you share with anyone how you're feeling? No, I'm pretty sure I had, I dropped out of school at that point. So I wasn't even at school anymore, but I, I was doing like a course or something, but Mm. no, I just retreated. I didn't, I had one best friend at the time, um, called Adam and he, but he was also depressed. It was weird. We were both like friends, but we both were in a low place and we couldn't really help each other, but it was sometimes it was company. Yeah. And, and do you, did you feel like that depression was mainly because of the breakdown of the relationship or was it still that you were you were struggling with accepting who you were? Um, I feel like it's just a combination of, of everything that had just gotten too much. It had just finally been enough mm. to sort of flood my system. Um, I wasn't so upset with accepting myself at that point. It was just the, the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't love this person anymore. I couldn't be with this person and, I'd struggled so hard to get there and so long to get anyone around me mm. to accept me that then the actual person that I was fighting for was not there. Yeah, they weren't in your life anymore. And so how did you actually get through that time? Or what you know, what brought you out the other side? Um, again, a combination of things. I did actually have to go like my, my parents found me one day in bed and sometimes I would self-harm not like really badly but just like a little bit to try and get some vent some of the pain out mm. um and yeah mom and dad found me in, in bed and I had like you know, <laughs> some scissors in the bed with me and they were like we have to do something about this Natalie like it's you can't go on like this mm. um so they took me to the doctor that night and she gave me some antidepressants and um like counseling appointments so I started taking them and I only stayed on them for maybe six months and it was really weird because it makes you so numb Mm. it was like I felt felt the same thing yeah yeah it was a relief to not feel the the heaviness but Mm. it was weird that I felt nothing yeah it was so strange um, I would not have stayed on that for all my life. Like I know a lot of people do, mm. but I feel like it changes you as a person. I think temporarily to, to not make you do something silly, that it's a good thing, but, um, but long-term for you, it wasn't, No, you could tell it wasn't going to be helpful. No. So I pretty much just kind of used that, I guess, space within my emotions to, to just take some action. And, um, I actually, I just actually went on a random road trip to Sydney with my friend Adam. Um, I was I like, let's just, go. Yeah. let's just go. Like, what's the point in being here? There's no point. Let's just go to Sydney. So we just quit our jobs. <laughs> so you the moved car. there? Yeah. Or was it just a road trip? Well, we, we moved, but we didn't have a place to go to. Uh, so we just like went on a random road trip to Sydney, slept in the car for a month. <laughs> I think I remember that. And you were yeah. like, oh, just having a shower at the local toilet block. Or yeah, yeah. I had like a sponge bath in the park <laughs> toilet. It was great. <laughs> but because it was so random and so different and it was like, it was a change of state. It was a change of environment and it was, I can do anything. It's, yeah, it was just like a new 
chapter that I could make. I think travel is such a huge part of self-discovery and getting through those tough times because when you do something completely um, spontaneous, like uh, mm. you're like, oh, wow, I can actually just pack up my life, do something new. I don't have to stay in this, you know, same pattern or, or go through the, you know. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's really helpful. I mean, obviously not everyone needs to go sleep in their car, <laughs> but, you know, doing something like that, I can definitely see how that would have helped you shift your mindset around yeah. the way you meet that life people too. Like we, we then we stayed in a backpackers for a while and just when you meet new people, new situations, and you kind of open your eyes up to, oh, there is a big world out there. I'm hurting, but so are other people, and, and there are other things to live for. Mm. Sort of kind of, it's a process, but yeah, you have to pull yourself out of it somehow. And so when you came back from that trip, then what? where did your life sort of start heading then? Well, I actually lived there for, I think, a year. And we but lived, not in your car. Not in my car. <laughs> no, I lived in a backpackers for a few months and then we we actually rented somewhere. I got a job and one thing led to another thing and we built a little, like, family down in our new town, like, for friends and stuff. Mm. Yeah, it was really great, actually. Uh, and then I met another girl <laughs> who was Irish and um, we started dating and so by the end of that year, I was like, I want to go to Ireland. <laughs> so I, I started saving money and I ended up in Ireland like not that long after. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I, I actually can't even remember that. Really? I'm sure. I'm sure. I've gone for years as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. And then did you come back after a year with, with her? Did you come back together or no. the relationship sort of? <laughs> we were going to. Um, we were actually going to apply for like a de facto visa thing, but we weren't really suited for each other. We, we weren't really. I mean, I suppose she was a bit of a rebound, but part of my story, part of my journey. Mm. Um, so, no, she no. <laughs> I haven't seen her since then. But I'm guessing – you know, it sounds like by that time you were much more comfortable with who you were. Yeah, definitely. And had your family become a bit more supportive during that time or is that? Well, I think that's definitely been a long process for them as well. They're really good now and they've, like, met my current partner and they make an effort now. And my mom was actually at the filming of my video clip, Hot for Women, mm. Which was a big thing. Yeah, I was just thinking that is a that's a big thing and a a really you know, it was a very long journey and I think a lot of people, you know, whether they're, you know, gay or bi or trans, having that family support I think for a lot of people from stories I've heard, it's a long time coming. It's not always something that happens straight away. And I mm. think that's why it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, it did take a long time but Things are a lot better now than they were. Yeah. And that would have been so cool having your mum there to support you. It was very scary. I'm like, oh, this is the first time ever my mum is in a room full of gay people and uh, drag queens. And I was so nervous about it. But at the end of the day, she was like, that was really, really nice. And I think that she could your just Your mum's see... always been really theatrical as well. So she oh, probably... She should be in the theatre, yeah. <laughs> she probably appreciated all of the, you know, costumes and... 
and the creativity and that sort of thing. Yeah, but I, I think that I guess people who are more sheltered and haven't been part of the LGBTQ plus community kind of can view it as this kind of, I don't know, maybe strange or, yeah, it, or it might be weird, like, or the people might be strange or whatever. But my mom being there for the whole day, she was like, oh, they're all just really nice normal people like they're just people like yeah they are just people mom they might like the same sex or whatever but we're all the same Mm. and I think that opened up her eyes and I actually found um a month later I found a book on her table which was like what to do when you when your kids um come out and I was like my mom's reading a book (laughs) first of all and second of all about coming out and yeah I confronted her about it and she was like I wish I'd had this book when you went back, yeah. when you came out, because I'm so sorry with the way that I handled things. Then I don't think there, I don't remember there being a lot of resources back then mm. or a lot of awareness about support. Because when you came out, I didn't really know what you're supposed to say, or I think I was, <laughs> yeah. I was surprised, but I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I don't know, I must have been about 20, 21. Mm-hmm. I don't remember thinking a lot about it, but I'm sure. There probably weren't a lot of resources for parents. So I guess in some ways you can't – I don't want to – I don't know whether you say you can't blame them because I'm sure there are some people out there whose parents have reacted really badly, um, mm. like in a very extreme way, and it's it's been very hurtful. Um, but I think a lot of it maybe is just that because – previous generations haven't grown up with much knowledge about it and, yeah. and not having – when you don't have the tools to know how to understand something or how to support someone, it's the same with suicide prevention or mm. anything like that. If you don't know how to speak to someone when they come to you and say, I'm not okay or I'm thinking about killing myself, yeah. then you can't really support them. And, mm. and it's not always that people don't care or – they just don't actually know what to do. So for your mum, like if she'd had that book, I'm sure it would have it would have given her so much more insight and probably helped a lot more back then. Yeah. It also would have shown her like a, a positive mm. side because all she had was that's bad, that's bad. And yeah. you're, you're gonna have to go and get therapy to ungay you sort of mindset back then. Yeah. Um, not realising that it's just part of mm. me. And so in, in your chapter as well for, for my book, you talked about how the LGBT community was really uh, like a really big part of you learning to accept yourself because having that community, and we all need community, you know, mm. what, whatever form that comes in, um, was really positive part of your journey. And, um, and yeah, the, as, like you were saying before, releasing your first song like and your first music video that was such a huge step you know forward in your career and something that you had been wanting to do for a long time right mm. the song I should say is called hot for women yeah and that was kind of like you're coming out at them wasn't it pretty much <laughs> and I remember you saying you just loved how it was so colorful you know you had all the drag queens there everyone mm. was dressed up like super bright everyone was just in a great mood but yeah can you share a bit more about like how that community has helped you grow more as a person well I guess it's we all want to be accepted and fit in and 
find a place where we feel like we belong. And um, for a lot of us in this community, it's, it's really hard to do in our own lives. So, I mean, I guess going to a gay event or something, you're like, oh, there's all these people and they're not looking at me like I'm strange. They're not looking at me like there's something wrong with me. They're just like, yeah, cool, hey. <laughs> and it, it's an environment that I could actually be like, oh, I can be here with my partner and not be judged at all. And mm-hmm. then I can actually just be. So I think it's more of having that place that you're accepted for your sexuality. That is the most important thing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had times where I've walked down the street holding a partner's hand and I've been yelled at by some people, yeah, you're disgusting. You know, yeah. can't always aware. I can't ever Which... be out of this house with my partner and not be aware that if mm-hmm. I am affectionate, someone might look at me weird. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've been so shocked, like, when you've talked about the things that you've experienced. Because for me, I I can't imagine those things still happening today. Like, there was a story you shared with me a couple of years ago about going out for dinner with your partner and guys would just come up and ask you to be, like, if you wanted to have a threesome and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that is that something that's happened like more than once? Oh, definitely. Yeah, like it's a bit sad that um, gay people feel like we have to go to the spot that is the gay club. Um, mm. Even still, I mean, the world's getting better, yes, but it's still not there yet. <laughs> if I go into a straight club, there is a very high chance that if there's a there's a cocky guy there and he sees me there and he finds out I'm gay going to make some comment about a threesome and it's just so oh, disrespectful and gross and it, it just makes me not want to be in those places mm. um and that's i think that's something that those of us you know who are straight probably wouldn't have ever thought about no. like i would never think oh why you know why aren't there many gay women in in a you know just everyday club yeah uh, i mean i always just thought oh you know you probably want to go to a gay because you'll meet other gay people and you know yeah. it's it's kind of you know you're surrounded by you know how we love to be surrounded by things we're familiar with or yeah. people that are part of the same sort of um community groups or interest things but I never thought about it in terms of like a safety or a comfort yeah. thing I never thought hey Nat probably wouldn't feel comfortable coming to just a normal club with her partner yeah I just wouldn't expect a guy to come up and because there's something your partner's said before. Um, there was a video you guys did, and mm. I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that's so true. She was saying, you know, you wouldn't see, she said something like, imagine if I just went up to a straight couple in a park and was like, oh, wow, like, your <laughs> partner is so hot. Like, would you guys like to all go home together? And, you know, <laughs> like, that would be so weird. Yeah, you'd be like, uh, pervert alert, and, and she'd probably get punched in the face, you know? Yeah. But for some reason, from things you've said, it sounds like guys don't have any qualms or they, they're not worried about, I guess they're not worried about you punching them or anything like that. No, then you just get called a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Crazy bitch. Yeah, I've, I've had guys offer to pay me money if I'd kiss my partner again. They're like, oh, come on, do it again. I'm like, oh, God, these people are watching me. It's like <laughs> you're a show or something. Yeah, it's like, oh, live porn, yay. <laughs> no, we're just people. Yeah, that's so 
it's so unbelievable to me. Like, I cannot imagine being in that situation. And mm. I don't even know what I would say if someone said that to me. It's like, it's disgusting. I, I would never expect a guy to come up to me and my husband and be like, oh, can you guys make out? So I'll give you money. <laughs> uh, I want to yeah. watch you. He'd be like, fuck off. Probably like punch them in the face, you know, or want to punch them in the face. Yeah. But for two, two girls or two women, I can't imagine you, you'd probably just feel really uncomfortable and want to get out of that situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard enough as a woman to, mm. to feel safe when you're out. And then, yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> it's just a whole other level to that, a whole new element. Yeah. I think another thing that we, I think we talked about in one of our videos was that I, I would prefer, I think to be a, a female in that situation because I have heard horror stories for two boys the guys don't get asked for threesomes. The guys get, I don't know, they get a lot more aggression and violence towards two men together. Like, I, I can imagine, yeah. It's I can like imagine. the guys are insulted by the the view or something. I don't yeah. know. Well, I guess women, would, like two women together, would be, like you said, be seen as live porn. But two guys together would be, yeah. I can imagine some guys reacting with like aggression and hostility because mm. it's like goes against masculinity or something like yeah. that. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> You're not a real man. It's just ruining brotherhood. You yeah, know. yeah. Ego. Is that what real men do? But yeah, that's actually, I do remember years ago when I was going out a lot. I must have been around 20, 21. I can't remember if it was my boyfriend at the time or one of his friends went, oh, I saw these two guys in the alley and they were making out. And I think he yelled out like, oh, fuck off you fags or something like that. Oh, yeah, that. that'll but stop him. Yeah, yeah. And then they just went home and decided to be straight. Like, that's, yeah. That's the thing. But it was, I was just like, you didn't have to yell at them. If you didn't want to see them making out, just continue walking past the alleyway. Like, yeah. they weren't hurting anyone. It's not like everyone looks good when you make out. I mean, not just let a straight couple do. I, I don't really want to see make up. making out drunkenly in an alley. I'm like, ew, tacky, you know. Like, yeah, you just keep going. But yeah, he was he was so offended by it, and I was, and I, I, I you know, back then we didn't really talk a lot about people being gay. Mm. But I was just like, oh, if you think it's gross, like just keep going you know yeah but yeah it must yeah i i can't imagine what it's like just trying to go out with your partner have dinner just do regular stuff like have you noticed mm. any differences sit in the last year since gay marriage has passed do you, do you feel any more comfortable going out together holding hands i feel like i feel a bit better about it because it's like well Sleep. There are some people that are here to support us, but just because it's been changed in the law, it doesn't change the people that didn't want it to go through. And there's just a lot of, I guess, even if everyone in a room wasn't even looking at us because of the conditioning that I've had, it's really difficult to let that go. Like mm. I'm always constantly aware of it, even if it's not happening. Mm. It's like, you know, PTSD or something, I guess. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, you're expecting something to happen, and it's yeah. I guess you're always on alert, and you're yeah, always like, yeah. I mean, mm. which sucks. <laughs> I'd like to not be. Yeah, and the only place I'm not is when I'm at a gay pub or a gay event. Mm. They're not going to look at you weird ever. <laughs> like, why would they? And um, I was just thinking, like, to come back to 
you know, your journey to get where you are as a musician as well. Like even your sexuality has been a big part of that as well because I remember uh, not, I guess maybe not in terms of getting gigs, but I remember you shared a story about how you were going to gigs and guys would approach you like, mm-hmm. you know, you're really good looking woman so they'd come up to you and want to talk to you and then you'd, you'd sort of have to inevitably say, look, I'm sorry, I'm actually gay, I'm not interested because if you said, oh, thanks, but I'm not interested, they wouldn't listen to that. So then you would actually have to say, well, I'm gay to mm. try to get these guys to go away. And then it's not usually a good idea. It didn't really go down very well, did it? It seems to straight away either it like excite them too much and they think, oh, really? Oh, cool. So I can join. No, no, I, that doesn't mean you're involved. They didn't seem bisexual. Yeah. Um, or they get, again, it feels like their masculinity is, is somehow offended by that. Like, how dare you not want mm. to have me in your bedroom? Because this particular guy, he offered to help you carry your speakers or something. Yeah, that was really not, not cool. Yeah, I had a guy who was obviously trying to flirt with me, who carried my speakers to my car, and when I told him I was gay and, no, I'm not interested, he just put them down in the middle of the road quite aggressively. I'm like, that's expensive for you or something. And, and he called me an effing B. <laughs> nice. Yes, that's really going to make you chase him down. Yeah. For that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand the aggression about mm, about it. Why is it offensive to them? Not every girl in the world is going to want them anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I can just imagine that that's a whole, you know, other, other side of, well, just another thing to deal with because going into the music industry is already such a difficult industry to crack. Mm. And then on top of that, I've heard a lot of women say that they feel you know, it's a, it's there are unique challenges that come with being a woman in the industry. Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of female musicians, and I don't think you know anyone's really held back these days. You see so many amazing female artists in Australia achieving great things. Mm. I mean, just uh, in the last few days, like Casey Chambers got inducted into the Hall of Fame at the mm. Arias, and then Amy Shark won, I think, like four different awards, and she's 32. So oh, I guess it's um. <laughs> people's minds she would be considered an older female musician i think there's a lot of opportunity out there for for female musicians i definitely don't think they're held back what are some of the goals that you have for the next year i mean you've already been through so much in your life and come out the other side well i'm like i'm i'm grateful for my journey even with the hard times because i feel like i have so much insight now that I wouldn't have if I didn't have those struggles. Mm. And I have a lot that I, I want to sing about, I want to share, I want to express and inspire people. So I'm just, I'm excited to put me and my journey into my music and, and share that with people that mm. might be, you know, a few steps back from where I am at in my journey to help them get, move forward in their lives. Yeah, and I think that's so powerful is what you just said about you know you've been through so much but now you've got all of this life experience and insight that you can use to help other people Mm. whether that's just you know everyday people who've gone through some really shitty things or whether that's other people who've had a similar journey to yourself yeah um and that's that's really interesting to talk about too because there was a question I wanted to ask you and I sort of have to think about how I how I word it but 
um, there are people I know who, you know, work really passionately in the mental health space. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, they do a lot of work with LGBT youth as well. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest questions that some of us who work in the mental health space have, for those of us maybe who, you know, are straight, yeah. is that, and this, and I'll use this particular um, example from this person I know who runs a charity. He said, I come across so many, um, you know, gay or bi or trans kids who are really struggling with their self-identity and because of the really difficult journey that, you know, LGBT, LGBT people have had, like, mm-hmm. over the last, you know, 50 years or whatever, there's a lot of, I guess because what they've seen people in their community go through, it's easy for them to feel like they're a victim from the start, you know, to mm-hmm. look at themselves and go, well, it's too hard to try. Why should I even try to follow my dreams? Because people are going to judge me just because of my sexuality or my gender or, you know, people aren't going to get me. People are going to be there to shut me down as soon as I start because I'm different. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the sort of mindsets that they're, you know, this person I know and other people in the mental health space are coming up against. And the question they said to, to me is, how do we help these people, like these young people, yeah. as someone who doesn't, you know, has mental health training but isn't, doesn't know what it's like to be gay or, or bi or anything like that, how do we help them to overcome that victim mindset to understand that their gender orientation or their sexuality doesn't have to hold them back and even though you know you don't work in the mental health sector Mm -hmm. I'm interested from your life experience perspective how would you speak to a young person who for example came up to you and was like well Nat why should I even try to chase my passions because people are going to look at me straight away and be like you're a freak or you're different so Mm -hmm. you know people are just going to judge me why should I even try yeah well, I think obviously for each individual, depending on what they have experienced, um, if they've experienced bullying or abuse because of that, they need to get some get some help for that. Because I've I've gotten a lot of support and um, like life coaching and different things to help me heal my own wounds. Mm. Because you need to love yourself first, or you can't you can't move forward in your in your life. So yeah. and that's a journey in itself, like every day. Um, I think it's really important to remember, remember no matter what you go through, you can either use that to completely destroy your life or you can use it to, to, to fuel you to doing something bigger and better and, and standing up for other people that go through the same things as you. Um, we're a lot stronger as, as a team and we've got to all be there to support one another. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really beautiful and it's a really important point. And it leads really well into um, another question I had for you, which is say there's a young person out there right now, maybe they haven't come out yet and they don't, maybe they, they feel really alone. They don't know who to turn to or, um, you know, where to get support. What What advice would you give them in terms of firstly, the importance of speaking out and, and how to make that step mm-hmm. to reach out to someone? Um, well, yeah, it's it's really important to not just keep everything to yourself. It's really difficult to 
to deal with being maybe a bit different, especially coming out. And if you can find someone that that you think might be safe to talk to and, and express how you're feeling, um, it's really important to not feel like you're alone because then it, it can feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. So if there's someone you can reach out to, whether it's a friend or a teacher, um, if your family, you don't think that's that's the right way to go about it. There's also a lot of groups you could find online. I know that when I was um, considering coming out to my family, I found some really nice groups online and some beautiful people older and more experienced than me that really helped me come to terms with things and, and gave me some advice. So, yeah, reach mm. out to somebody. And... Just to finish off with, I always like to ask each person um, if they can share a little bit about what they think their their life purpose and life mission is. So I guess if you think about your journey and, and um, everything you've been through and where you are now, why? what do you think your sort of life purpose is, the reason that you've been put on this earth and, and your reason to live? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm actually quite grateful for everything that's happened in my life, even the really hard stuff, because I feel like honestly it it can make you a stronger person and, and then you have more to give to other people that are in those situations. So I feel like my life purpose, at least at the moment is to help people that are going through things that I've already been through and came out the other side um, to help them, help them cope and and move forward as well so as I sing I, I'm really doing my best to write lyrics and songs that that should share my journey and hopefully can help people feel like they're not alone and inspire them to um to just living an awesome life <laughs> and I think yeah your music does that so well especially like we were talking about your song Hot for Women and I I know I'm really looking forward to um, seeing what you do in the new year and, um, yeah, where you go with your music and I'm sure you will continue to inspire a lot of people. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing your journey, yeah, with, with us today and, um, yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you, Jess. <laughs>